Welcome to Influential She, the podcast about accelerating the influence of women in the world. You will find us to be a fresh voice in an old conversation. And here we are, your amazing co-hosts, Deb Soholt and Mel Shop. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Influential She. I'm your co-host, Mel Shop. And I'm Deb Soholt, and this is our grand conversation to accelerate the influence of women in the world. And today we just got this really cool guest that we're going to talk to about this overall concept of self, is our high leverage practice of self. And this is really about innately claiming yourself deep down, the values that you bring to the situation, and really being at your own North Star sooner. And I think this is something, personally for me, that I found that there were so many winds that were blowing, particularly in my 20s and 30s, and you know maybe even to my early 40s, where yes, the characteristics of me were out on the table, but I was heavily influenced by maybe how an organization thought you should be, or others thought you should position yourself to be, and just really found that this is a concept that if you can sort this out earlier, you can really start to accelerate your influence, because the truth of the matter is, it's only you showing up, right, Mel? Yeah, and I think I know that, especially for myself, that early on, it was just easy to do what was expected. So I think what was expected, it was in particular, I think back in our day, Deb, it was expected that we be one of maybe three things, unfortunately, where, you know, you were going to be a teacher, you're going to be a nurse, you might be a secretary. Um, And it wasn't, there there just weren't these choices out there. And it was just easy to fall into that, which both of us did, which was not a negative thing in the long run. However, I think that instead of really looking at where our strengths might have taken us, and I think that even today in the place we are, we talk about this sometimes, it's like, oh, I just wish I had known more about me um, way back then. I might have made some different choices. And I, I think we joke about that a lot, Deb, that we're still kind of trying to find ourselves. <laughs> well, you never fully grow up, right? I mean, you're just always on a self-improvement plan of some sort and self-awareness. And I just love our guest today because this is someone who really understands her own rootedness and how herself was formed. And it's so exciting to see what she's done with it. So I'm going to get to introduce her. So Charlene Stanberry, we are so thrilled to have you here today. I'll tell you what, your resume just eeks of um, a lot of experience, but also the story behind that that you shared with us already is really humbling that we get to talk to you today, number one, but also I think will be really interesting. So right now you've got this amazing title, you're Vice President of Government Relations for the National Association of Broadcasting, um, and you did some things in uh, for some con- in Congress, which I hope that you get to tell us more about, but welcome to the show, Char, is what we're going to call you. I love that that name. And we're just thrilled to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you for having me. So I'm just going to start off because what was really fun is that sometimes we get to visit with our guests in advance. And Char, you were one that just gave us this whole amazing story. I remember walking away from our conversation thinking, this was really uplifting because you were so real and so um, aware of who you were and where you came from that sometimes that is not always the case. So, Char, take us back. There are these people, these places, whatever. We have to start from the very beginning, but my very first thing I wrote down about you that I think is so, so defining is that you're a country girl with Christian values. Tell us more about this person we're talking to today. Absolutely. Um, So, I was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. So, 
people don't think Florida is the South. Florida is definitely the South, especially in Jacksonville. Um, my family has roots from Charleston, South Carolina and the Gullah Geechee um, heritage. So I say a country girl with Christian values from the South because I was raised in more of a four generation type dynamic. I had my great grandmother who was born June 2nd of 1918. Um, my grandmother who would kill me if I told her her at her age or even talked about her <laughs> age, my mom and then myself. So I always think that being around three dynamic, strong, passionate Christian women is basically what helped define me on my journey. Um, and I was with my great grandmother. I had her till I was about 20. She passed away my sophomore year of college. And she, I just remember her calling me even when I'm in college, like, Charlene, turn the show on Oprah. Watch Oprah right now. Like I literally was with her every day of my life till my 20s. And my grandmother um, passed away from colon cancer when I was around 29. So I had her into my 30s. And then I'm just fortunate to have my mom now um, as I'm heading into my 40s. So I think I and know that they definitely helped define my journey. So Char, talk a little bit about, you had shared with us that when you were like five years old, your great grandmother, she just really put a stake in the ground for you and talked about who you were going to become. So share a little bit about that part of the story, because I think that's so exciting about how elders can really infuse some of your identity because they know your rootedness. Absolutely. I remember as a five-year-old, you know, you're playing with Barbies and my great grandmother would just say things to me like, you're going to go to college, you're going to get a graduate degree, and then you're going to meet a partner. And then y'all are going to have this wonderful marriage and have a family. But both of you are both going to be whole people together. And then um, as a whole, as a couple and a family, that's how your life is going to be. Now, I didn't know what she was talking about at five with, you know, Barbies or anything. But now that I'm getting older and I'm 37, I definitely see what she was saying. She was telling me to live a whole complete life as an adult. And then I would find my partner and then we would live a complete life together as a couple. You know, there was a statement that um, you made about your grandma, which I think sort of has maybe carried through. You said grandma was sassy with no filters. What did that mean? I just think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I remember um, my mom and I were talking about a story the other day where I literally was at my great grandmother's house all the time. My grandmother would come hang with my great grandmother and I sometimes, but I literally slept at my grandmother's house once in my entire life because I remember um, going over her house, reading all these books. My grandmother was a teacher, so I always had millions of books. She would sign me up for every book club that existed for a child. And I went in her room. And she had some clothes on the bed. And my great-grandmother picks up the phone and she's like, I'm just checking on you, Char. And I said, Mommy, Mama Loretta's room is junky. And to this day, I have never been allowed <laughs> to uh, be at my grandmother's house. So I remember that. She was sassy, no filter. She held no prisoners. Like, she just said whatever she felt like saying. But I think her ability to be strong and be herself is something that I was able to take. I remember 
um, being with her right before she passed. And she said to me, you're, you're sassy and stubborn, just like your mama. And I'm like, well, who do you think my mama got it from? She got it from you and I got it from her. So thank you. <laughs> so Char, talk a little bit about, you know, one of the things is your values are deeply seated within you and they show up, you know, throughout your whole life. And so talk about the values that certainly these women really influence you because of their strength, but also the values that you just really came, I believe, early on to accept about you to say, yeah. This is part of when am I when I'm singing as a person, when I'm just trucking along and I feel like I'm in my own personal flow, what are the kinds of things that really show up for you? Uh, I think being authentic is one of them and going against the grain. Sometimes I think of myself as a rebel because I've never been a person that follows or hangs and clicks, so to speak. Um, I've kind of been outcast and I got bullied a little bit when I was in elementary and middle school. But I remember my grandmother saying, hey, you be yourself, be a rebel. Don't succumb to anything that anybody else wants you to do and be yourself. And so I think I've been able to carry that to where I'm okay with going against the grain. I'm okay with being a rebel. I'm okay with making a decision that might not be popular as long as it's something that I know is the correct decision, that I continue to have integrity, and that I can stand for it at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And I I had a couple situations that happened in college. You know, I'm a sorority girl, so sometimes there were decisions I made where I went against the grain in a sorority and thinking about, you know, being in law school and going to law school. And people are like, why are you going to law school? You're not even going to practice law. You're going to be in policy. That's crazy. And I just remember the strength that my grandmother and my great-grandmother gave me where it's like, you do what you're supposed to do. This is your life. This is your journey. And you only get one life. And my great-grandmother always used to say, Charlin, be respectful of people. Be yourself. Love your parents. You only get one set of parents. And just live your life how you want it to be. It's going to speak for itself. You know, Char, I think you brought up a couple of really good points in what you just said. One was to be authentic. Because that's where people really gravitate to you. They can feel that energy of authenticity. Even if they don't like kind of what you're all about, they can still feel that it's true to you. And then you also brought up this thing about, so being authentic to yourself, you might have to be a little rebellious against what other people think, and then it makes you feel like an outcast. So talk about, you know, that's not always easy, that you're feeling kind of outside of what the norm is, even if you're staying true to yourself. There's not always a lot of encouragement to stay in that space. Talk a little bit about how that felt to you sometimes. And, you know, was it ever tough? And if it was, how did you start to overcome that? Oh, it's very tough. I remember um, going against the grain in college and losing a couple friends. You lose a couple family members sometimes. I remember when I moved from, I had a bad breakup when I left Tampa and decided to go to law school in Miami. And that was a period of just self-reflection and finding myself. And during that period, you become depressed. Um, You know, you try to think about, well, did I make the correct decision? Should I have gone a a different route? But I think what kind of helps is just focusing on myself and journaling. Journaling definitely helps. Sometimes with my goals, I write it on my wall so that once I wake up, I can see it. 
and I can keep my mind focused on the goal, but also just being around people who love me unconditionally. So even though I may have had a sorority sister or two that I fell out with, I still had my homegirl from from high school that was at my college that I could always go out and hang out with. And she knew who I was as a person. So I think it's just being around people who unconditionally love you, even though they may not be the ones um, that are with you presently in that time period. At least you can pick up the phone and call them. We have FaceTime now. You can FaceTime them. And it just reminds you about who you are and that you're loved. You know what I find so interesting in thinking back on my own life. And then when I talk to you about, there's all these pivotal moments along the way that we all just remember and you think that pivotal moment has helped me to be where I am today or this moment. So you talked about, you know, your, your great grandmother talked to you when you were five. And then you had these other things along the way when you were bullied and so forth that really helped to build this self-character. There was a story you told us as well that I think just sort of puts together some of the pieces of you. I loved it was about your great grandmother turning on a gospel radio show. Can you tell us that story? Because I just love it. And I think that it kind of epitomizes this whole piece of who you and this whole, this whole, you know, people that stood around you that have influenced who you are today. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, I was a child that was always at her great grandmother's house after school and during the summer. And the thing about being around my great grandmother and her, her brother, who I affectionately call Uncle Dimps, was that I could not turn the TV to anything that they did not want to watch. So I literally was a child that was watching CNN 24-7, Oprah Winfrey, every news channel. I think that's why I'm in broadcasting right now, <laughs> because that's what my life has been around. And my great-grandmother always used to have her radio on the gospel networks. And there was a local pastor who had a Black History Month um, quiz. And so I remember my great-grandmother had it on and the pastor said, you know, who was one of the first Black female astronauts? And I said, Mommy, that's Mae Jemison. And so Mommy and Uncle Demps look at me and they're like, pick up the phone. You need to call that pastor. So we call a radio station. They're like, hello, who is this? I'm like, hey, this is Charlon Stanberry. I think at the time I was nine or 10. And so he said, okay, well, here is the quiz. And he kept quizzing me and I kept getting every question right. And he's like, you are our Black History Month winner of X, Y, and Z radio station quiz. And I just think back to that moment, like my great grandmother saw a little bit more in me, like, hey, this is the interest area that you have. And so it has me thinking because I worked on a hill for the Congressional Black Caucus. And some of the questions that I was given during that quiz were about Congressional Black Caucus members. So if it wasn't for Mimi and for Uncle Demps, I think that they were kind of foreshadowing where my career or my life would be headed. So, Charlie, that just leads us into this whole thing. You've had this amazing career where you're at today. You ended up on the Hill. You ended up, I mean, people were looking to you. You are very successful in the ways in which you've taken all of these pieces, put them together and turned them into this amazing, strong woman. I, I think two pieces of that. How did that happen and how did you get there? But what were the vulnerabilities along the way that, you know, you go, you know, we all have those insecurities because it looks like you've just got your whole life together. 
which I think you do, but you got your life together. Talk about both sides of that. Cause I think we're all in those places where people can look from the outside and go, Oh my gosh, she's got it all. Oh, absolutely. I remember graduating from undergrad, not knowing what I wanted to do. My undergrad degree was in um, business administration. So I hadn't been exposed to too many careers. My mom, um, she was a single mom at one point. Uh, she went to college full-time, worked full-time with my brother. And so I just thought that I would end up in something in business. So I graduated early, didn't really like business, ended up getting a master's degree in public administration. And it was a recession. Couldn't find a job for eight months. I literally was working at Walmart Pharmacy as a cashier. I worked at Bed Bath & Beyond as a cashier. Ended up meeting a boyfriend. He's an ex-boyfriend now. And, you know, moved to Tampa, worked for State Farm Insurance. Wasn't into the insurance realm too much. Figured that there was something a little bit more for me. But I had a fear of taking risk. Like, I'm just not a risk taker, so to speak, at that point. So I started researching uh, law school a little bit more, studied for the LSAT, didn't tell my boyfriend at the time because he didn't want me to go to law school. That was a point of contention for our relationship. And he ended up breaking up with me, basically saying he didn't really want to be with someone going to law school because it was going to be too much debt if we ended up getting married. And so I took a risk. I ended up going to law school maybe two or three months after we broke up. I got accepted into a summer program at FIU College of Law and then got accepted into law school. And I think moving from Tampa to Miami was one of the best decisions that ever happened to me because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I have nobody in my family that's a lawyer. I didn't know what law school entailed. I was just coming off the cuffs of a bad breakup depressed. Um, but then I, it turned my energy and my focus into figuring out what it is I wanted to do. And so I went through law school, got involved in a couple of organizations, including the National Black Law Students Association, and all of our events were in Washington, D.C. So I'm, you know, this country girl at Big Lights, like, oh my gosh, Washington, D.C., like, it's a little bit of everybody, every type of background every religious affiliation, like you name it, DC has it. So I remember being with my grandmother during her treatments and I would just say, mama, I think I'm going to go move to DC after I graduate. And this is my sassy lady. So I'm thinking she's going to say, that's crazy. And she was like, you should. And so I think her telling me that and giving me like the, the, the comfort to take another risk was the best thing that I did for my career. So I ended up moving to DC, living in intern housing with seven, seven other women at the age of 29. So that's crazy. <laughs> I was a 29 year old intern on Capitol Hill. So I had just graduated with my law degree and I'm an intern living in intern housing with seven other women. And then I got hired four months after that, working for a uh, Congresswoman at the time. She's secretary fudge now. And then after that, my career was just able, I got other doors open up just from um, being open and being on the hill and just being able to take job opportunities as they came. You know, Char, I want to ask you about in your story that you just talked about with the, the man that you were 
thinking about planning a life with, and then he wasn't interested in having you go to law school, and you were like, I wasn't even telling him I wasn't going to go to law school. How did that feel in relationship to your authentic self? Oh, I feel like I wasn't myself in a relationship. I think at the time, um, you know, we have all these fantasies where you're thinking, okay, I graduate school and the person I meet is going to instantly come and I just have to make it work with that person. And so for a time frame, we were on this honeymoon period where he had just graduated college and he was working on his CPA license and getting a second degree. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. But I think back to it, I just could not compromise myself to say that I was in a relationship or to be somebody's wife when I couldn't be authentically me. So, you know, even though this is 11 years ago, even though he he's ended up, he's since married someone else. But I think that that was a pivotal time frame because for me, I took it as rejection for a while and it, now I know that it wasn't a rejection period. It was a period of self-reflection for me to find really where I was to go and to redirect my path. And I actually thank him for breaking up with me because at some point he was just so nasty about it. And a lot of women don't talk about those vulnerabilities and the insecurities that you have in a relationship, but he was so nasty about it that it made me it made me depressed, but then it gave me a get up and go and an energy to think back to, okay, this is not working out. What can I do to make me feel joy, to make me feel peace, to make me feel happy again? And so I was able to convert all that energy that I put into the relationship into law school. So I think that had us, had we not had a bad breakup or anything, that I wouldn't have pursued law school. I wouldn't have pursued being in D.C., and sometimes I go and look on LinkedIn. I'm like, yeah, I know he's looking at myself sometimes <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out, like, what is she doing? What happened? But I think that that breakup and that rejection period gave me the strength that I needed to really figure out who I am and what I wanted to do. Yeah, you just spoke that so well, because I think so many times people think, all right, to find myself, I look at my values, I set some goals, I reflect on who I am. It all sounds like it's such a pretty package. But I think a lot of times you've got to chisel yourself through some hard times to really put a stake in the ground and claim what it is that you really know deep in your soul is you. And it isn't always pretty. And so Mm -hmm. I think for you to talk about that you know, I, I was depressed. I was bummed. It was crummy. And now I saw it as fuel to get me to the next step. But in the moment, I wasn't feeling as um, convinced. Was I worthy? Is this the right thing? Is this where I need to go? And yet at the end of the day, the pain kind of propelled you forward. And that gives so much power to women in sharing that story. Because I think sometimes we think that if we show any sign of weakness, you know, it's a it's a mark on us. And so I think that we need to be really candid and vulnerable in the things we're going through, whether they're emotionally or physically or in whatever sort of way, because that's what I think that's what we're trying to do. Because I think for so long, Deb and I had this exterior that we were, you know, like nothing could, there was no way, nobody's going to see me cry. Nobody's going to see me be weak and whatever. And sometimes being able to share that is a really critical and important thing to do. And so we really appreciate that from you being able to give those pieces of vulnerability 
to other women because it gives them strength, it gives all of us strength. Absolutely. Everyone has a testimony and a story to tell that's going to help unlock potential for another person. So, you know, I was just fortunate to have a great grandmother and a grandmother and a mother who would be vulnerable and also my godmother and my aunts and strong women around me. But, you know, also have a brother that I can be vulnerable with, have uncles that I can be vulnerable with. So I think that that's also like key to like finding who you are. You have to have people around you who are real, people who are going to check you, people who are going to be vulnerable with you, be willing to cry, be willing to share stuff that doesn't feel comfortable. Um, Things that, you know, make you sad. Uh, Just being able to ride the wave of life with you. If you have a person like that around you, I think that that's what helps unlock your full potential also. So Char, how did you know, like when you ended up in Washington as this 29-year-old intern, you know, just seeing the things that you have done since that time, it feels like it's really connected with some of the things that excite you. So how did you start to know, oh my gosh, like I, I feel like I'm in the right place. Like I'm starting to really see how my self shows up and really contributes. Talk about how that felt for you. Yeah, it's so funny because I think that I never really feel like I'm there <laughs> yet. Um, I think well, that you won't just, ever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that it's just a part of the journey. Um, one thing that I think back to is just being open and, and being there and being present. That's kind of helped me in my career from you know being a 29 year old intern on Capitol Hill. Then I worked at a nonprofit. Then I worked on the Hillary campaign, and that was totally out my realm, doing border protection in Florida, and then getting back on Capitol Hill. I, I tell people all the time that my hardest job that I've ever had on the Hill was being a chief of staff to a congresswoman because I did not want to take that job, y'all. I was like, give this to somebody else. Sign me up for something else. And it was hard because, in essence, I had to kind of sacrifice my life to make sure that somebody else's life was 110% complete. But it's never complete because there's all these arrows and things being thrown at you 24-7. So I think that being a chief of staff was one of the hardest jobs that I had and most challenging position I've had in my life. But I wouldn't regret it for anything else because it taught me a lot of things about resilience, about trying to find balance. You're never going to find a real balance in anything. I don't know who tells people that, hey, you know, you can have this, this and that. No, just like do your best and all that you have is going to be different priorities that you have as your life goes on and be 110% okay with it. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't have imposter syndrome. Just be yourself. So I'm stepping off of uh, being a chief of staff. And I just started this new job uh, five months ago. And so now I'm finding myself in a different experience of being a lobbyist. And instead of being behind the scenes, actually talking to members of Congress and advocating for local radio and TV broadcasters and being able to attend trips and serve as a brand ambassador. I think it the journey is always there, but you also have to be in the moment. My best friend and I 
always talk about that. He's like, Char, let's find ourselves in the moment to where we appreciate the moment and we're not looking back and we're not just always solely focused on the future that we don't appreciate what's now. Now that's that's really powerful. So I'm really curious about the job right now. How is it filling your cup? You know, so you're out there and you're being able, it's the total other side. How's it filling you up and what is it doing for you? And how are you bringing those past experiences to make it be the best for you today? So it, it definitely is filling my cup for two reasons. The first reason is, is getting me out, for, out of my comfort zone of being behind the scenes. So like now I'm forced to go to these events and talk to these elected officials. Normal char would just be like, nope, I'm going home. I'm good. The congresswoman has her talking points. We're set. But now I actually have to talk to them, attend events. And when I say attend events, I don't mean like one event a day. Sometimes it's like right now we're in hybrid. So it's Zoom during the day, dinner at nighttime, trips on the weekends. Um, so that's interesting. The second reason. I've always, um, for the last eight years, had a career surrounded around media, telecom, and tech. And so being able to advocate and talk about issues that I've had a career and built my career on that I'm passionate about, I think it's definitely filling my cup. And I'm kind of seeing my career go full circle. So I I always talk about my Uncle Demps, my great-grandmother's brother, he was infatuated with Black history. We had every Jet magazine and every magazine that ever existed. He was infatuated with politics. Like, he literally would not turn the TV off. We would be waiting for the news to come on. If it's breaking alerts, we would have to turn every other TV off and keep that one TV on in the living room to watch what was going on. He knew everything about every president. He knew everything about the Black Caucus, Hispanic Caucus, Asian Pacific Caucus. Like, that was what drove him. Like, he loved politics. And so I think back to Uncle Dimps and how I remember as a child looking at TV and watching interviews with Tim Russert or Tom Brokaw or Ed Gordon or Oprah or Frederica Whitfield. And now I'm advocating for people that do exactly that. So I think my life and my journey has been full circle and that my Uncle Dimps laid down that foundation for me. Isn't that just fascinating that all those pieces that came together for you when you really think about it and piece it together is where, you know, you are finding this person today. Where would you anticipate that would take you in the future? I'm just curious because you just had this really amazing sort of circle that's brought you here. But where, where is that going to take, where are we going to talk to you in 10 years? And where is this, where is Char going to be in the world? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, any idea. And that's probably too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that two elements that I'm seeing in my life, I think right now, I am balancing personal life with my professional life. So being in DC and being on the Hill, you can be a hustler and get up and go 24 seven. But now that I am lobbying and I'm kind of on the outside, I have more time to date. I have more time to be with my family. I can take my mom on some of these interesting trips that I go on. 
And that's common. So I think that I'm going to be a little bit more settled in my professional life, be married, have kids. Right now, I'm trying to think about harvesting my eggs because I am of a certain age. And um, professionally, I always remember my great grandmother telling me, you're going to be the businesswoman. Um, So I think that one of the things that I am thinking about is possibly something more in ownership when it comes in the media and telecom or tech space. I could see myself going into the ownership aspect and not just solely staying in policy, but, you know, maybe being a businesswoman on that side. That's, that's fascinating. So before we tie this up, talk a little bit about, because if you're willing to share, you're harvesting your eggs and Char, you did talk about this being a really roller coaster, but it's such a big piece um, of what's, of what's happening. And I'm just really curious how that's impacted you in the current place you're at right now. And also the kind of support that you're getting from people around you who know, et cetera, because that's a, a really a huge undertaking. Oh, absolutely. So I think the fun thing about being in D.C. is I'm around women who are open about all their experiences. So like my good buddy Kristen and I, we always talk about egg harvesting. Um, I most recently signed up to volunteer with the organization called the White Dress Project. And the White Dress Project is an advocacy organization for women who have uterine fibroids. So I recently about two months ago, had a myomectomy, which is surgery to remove um, some uterine fibroids. I thought I had three. I ended up having 12. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many things that occur with having uterine fibroids. My periods were heavy. It was hard to exercise. Um, it, it, It was bad when it came to just being able to be mobile and do all the regular things that a woman can do. So it was hard to um, just get up and go when, and date sometimes when you're having a bad menstrual period. Or it led to some you know, bad things when it came to depression. Um, also, I had like a bloated stomach. So I didn't feel sexy <laughs> all the time. I had to change my diet to where I was a pescatarian because when I would eat certain foods, it would make me feel nauseous or I would possibly throw up. So a lot of women don't talk about their battle with uterine fibroids. I know that about 70% of white women and 90% of black women will encounter uterine fibroids before the age of 50. So I battled with that since 2012. And I think that that is something that is pushing me to look at harvesting my eggs even more because I just had that surgery on my uterus. But I know that I want to be a mother. I want to carry a child if I can. And I want to go through every option that is out there. So if it's not necessarily me carrying a child, maybe surrogacy. If it's not surrogacy, maybe it's adoption. But I've been blessed to be around all types of women, particularly in D.C., who have battled uterine fibroids or endometriosis or just issues with reproductive health and they're career women like me, but then they're open about all the different options that are out there and they're open to staying on task and keeping me on task with my goal. If my goal is to be a mother, then I need to take the necessary steps to become a mother. 
And even though I may be 37 right now and people are like, just hold out, you may get married, you may meet this person. I want to make sure I'm taking the necessary steps because I know I'm not going to be young forever. You know, that that whole piece, we could do an entire podcast on what you've just gone through and what it's taken you to really hold on to that um, that that dream that you had or actually what your grandmother told you, you're going to be a mom, you're going to be, et cetera, when you were very young. I think that is really, um, thank you for sharing that piece and that story because I know that has not been an easy roller coaster ride for you to say the least. So I'm going to tie things up. I just, I want to bring that in because I just really admire you for taking that on and for in the place that you're at today. Before we end though, is there a piece of advice that you could be giving to women out there about being true to themselves? What, what would you tell women today? My great grandmother always says, it's not what you leave for a person, but it's what you leave in a person. So I think we kind of get hung up on material things and we forget that if you just smile at someone, you don't know how that's going to make that day. You don't know how that's going to affect them. If you do some like act of kindness, like you may be the one person touching their soul when they've had a bad day. And so it's not necessarily about what you leave or what you give to a person. It's about how you make a person feel. And they're always going to remember how you made them feel at the end of the day. Achar, I know that you've made us feel um, really blessed to have met you and also to be part of this today. And it's, I so appreciate you taking the time and also for being part of our, our, our show. No, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be here. And you too inspire me and you bless me so much. Thank you. So, you know, we always like to end the podcast with sort of this big question that we want to ask women. And one, what we really want to uh, leave you with today is, are you in touch with your true values and they provide that foundation to help you grow your influence in the same way that Char did? So thanks again for being part of Influential She. We hope that you'll tune in again. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed our podcast, we'd be so jazzed if you rate us on whatever app you use to find us. And hey, be sure to tell all your friends about Influential She. And please visit us at InfluentialShe.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. And you know what? If you come up with a new one, please let us know. In the meantime, remember, stay influential. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.